Well, good morning. Good life, a new life. It is good to be back, and uh, I'm the puzzle guy. I, several people came up and said, you were the guy that handed out the puzzle pieces. I still have it. Any of you still have the puzzle piece from when I came before? We should all get together, have a party, and try to put that together. That would be really, really interesting. Uh, some of us are secure enough in our masculinity that we don't have to hide behind beards. Others, I think... <laughs> have issues. I don't know. I'm going to talk with Joe about it. Look, there could be stuff growing in there. He wouldn't know it. I mean, it's, I don't know if he wants to become the Duck Dynasty pastor of America, but man, wow, that thing's pretty rough. Uh, I am doing, um, you can tell him I said that, you know, I'm doing pretty good. I don't know about you guys, but life is, is pretty good for me. Last time I was with you, I shared about going skydiving. Uh, since then, I have not done that again. Don't plan to. That's kind of a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Uh, also, uh, it looks like I may be okay with the federal uh, law uh, authorities. Um, I was accused of passing counterfeit bills last time. It's a minor thing, okay? Don't judge me, but uh, they weren't. Anyway, I'm I haven't had any more run-ins with the law except one. You understand in a small town, you know, little things become big things, and it's kind of like the Barney Fife syndrome. Uh, anyway, uh, I was uh, leaving a meeting the other night, and I was driving, uh, had to dump something in our dumpster. Now, I put a sticker on there that said, you know, a fine. We would never do it. But it's like $500 if you dump in our dumpster. So I put something in the dumpster, I'm pulling around behind the building, and I see these lights in my rearview mirror. And I'm like, what the, what is going on? So I pull around in the parking lot, small town, if you sneeze, everybody knows what's going on in your life. So I'm just thinking, I got to get this resolved quickly, so there's not rumors that I was taking a sobriety test, you know, that kind of stuff. I get out of the vehicle, and he gets on the speaker and says, sir, get back in your vehicle. I'm picturing like his hand is on his gun. I'm like, I'm the pastor of the church. I don't care. Get in your vehicle. Okay. I sat back down and uh, I said, what's the problem? He goes, well, the gentleman in the blue pickup said, you are not authorized to dump in that dumpster. I'm like, are you going to put the cuffs on me? I said, well, that would be our, our youth minister who said that to you. Actually, our former youth minister now. I said, you're kidding. I said, I'm the pastor of the church. He's trying to be funny. I said, he's not funny. But thank you. I said, I appreciate you, you know, being diligent here and keeping an eye on things. And I said, before you go, I would like to thank you for your service. And I didn't get your name. And he said, it's uh, Officer Outhouse. Now, I live in Stone County, America. But even there, I said, did I catch that right? It's Officer Outhouse. How do you spell that? O-U-T-H-O-U-S-E. I'm wondering if it's possible to get thrown in jail for laughing at a police officer's <laughs> name. I kid you not, it's a, it's a unique area that I live in. Uh, I'm really, really blessed because just a few years ago, I'm like 55 years old living with my parents, driving my uncle's old car. 
and had a hat in the back that said it's not a bald spot, it's a solar panel for a sex machine. I mean, my life was a wreck. Uh, I, it, I just had kind of face planted, you know, didn't know which end was up. And now I live on the lake with a beautiful wife. My family is bigger than I ever dreamed. I've little, got a little granddaughter. I am so incredibly blessed. I could raise my hand, you know, when Taylor asked if I, my health is still good, okay? Let me ask you, how, how is God blessing you? We'd actually put it up on the screens here. Tell me how God is blessing you. Don't be bashful. Come on. Answered prayer. Okay, put that up on the screen. Answered prayer. Another one. Anybody. Your health. I heard that. Love it. What's another one? Grandchildren. They're a double blessing too, aren't they? Blessing when they come, a blessing when they leave. I mean, it's... <laughs> Any others? Your job. Anybody here got a raise recently? That feels great. You're valued. Anybody here been fired recently? <laughs> I have. Not recently, but in front of a thousand people. I bet you can't top that one, but uh, others. I'm so disappointed in you men. You're like, my wife. Come on, guys, wake up. She's waiting for you to say it. So, guys, all in unison. My wife. All right, put wife up there. Got any others that I may, we may have missed? Your husband. There you go. That was sweet. All right, so our, yes, your mother. I love it. See, how many of you say today, I am really blessed? Yeah, I know. And yet, when I look at that list, forgiveness, that's a good one. There's not one of those things up there when Jesus said you're blessed that he mentioned. Do you remember that? The Sermon on the Mount, he said, blessed are you when you mourn. Blessed are you when you're or in spirit. Blessed are you when people say all kinds of evil things about you. Jesus, do you not understand what real blessing is? Yeah, he does, actually. You see, I didn't realize, I mean, it's been a year since I've been here, that Joe had turned this into a prosperity church, a health and wealth church, a name it and claim it, believe it and receive it church. I didn't know that, and I I mean, that's the list that we come up with, and I, you're not alone in this. I'd say the same thing. The blessings that we mention make it sound like we believe that we're only blessed when good things are happening to us. And when bad things are happening to us or good things aren't, we tend to wonder, well, do I not have enough faith? I mean, that's what the prosperity teachers would tell you. Joe doesn't teach that, does he? Okay, I hope not. Because it's simply not true. I mean, you can be the greatest Christian in the world and still be sick. Paul had his thorn in the flesh. You can struggle. You will struggle. I mean, it's always ironic to me when people say, you know, God wants you healthy. God wants you wealthy. God wants you believing and receiving. And yet the very Son of God suffered in this life, and he died a terrible death on a cross. So you don't think Joe is into this? 
How many of you have been to Joe's house? A lot of you, I bet, haven't you? I've been to Joe's house. It's a modest home, but you don't know about his other home. That's Joe's other house. Somebody said he drives a minivan now. I don't know. The beard in the minivan don't fit too good. He needs a pickup truck. But this is his other car, too. Sweet. And Joe, I think, I don't know where they went on vacation, but I've probably been on a cruise, but this is Joe's boat. I have a boat. Uh, in fact, we're trying to decide. I'm trying to decide what to name it. I like the name Seabatical. <laughs> Clever, isn't it? That way, when people call the office, they can just say he's out on Seabatical, you know? <laughs> Could call it visitation. I'm out on visitation. But I was getting gas in my boat the other day, which I, I'm so blessed. I have a boat that I saw a boat actually named Blessed. I'm not kidding. Isn't that, isn't that amazing? It's right there. I was getting gas in my boat. It cost me about $80 that day to get gas. I swallow hard every time I put gas in my boat. I asked the guy putting gas in boats, I said, I'm just curious, how much did it cost to put gas in Blessed? He said, it's about $800 to fill it up. Man, I'm not that blessed. You see, I want to look at the life of the Apostle Paul, and you wonder sometimes, did he understand what it meant to be blessed? I, I think so. When Jesus said, blessed are you when you're poor in spirit or mourn or persecuted, I think Paul got that. So many times in church, I think we, we, we give off a, 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 an impression that our life is all together. I've done it. I mean, my life was a wreck at one point, and yet I... I stood in front of people. In fact, many times I was raising kids and up all night or I was dealing with a broken marriage or I was struggling with depression and yet I had to get in that pulpit and I had to bring the word and I had to make everybody believe that I'm okay. The Apostle Paul was real and raw. And I'll be honest, I'm getting too old to fake it anymore. I'm messed up. I have a lot of issues, and I want to share a little bit kind of what that looks like today. We had a duck boat tragedy in our community not long ago, one of those duck boats that sank. You probably saw it. It was on the national news. And the families of the duck boat tra tragedy were all in the same room. I mean, you had people who had survived, and you had people who'd lost loved ones. And a friend who was there as a pastor, and he said how difficult it was trying to explain to the ones who were elated that they or their loved ones had survived, please don't talk about how blessed you are in front of these people who just lost loved ones who are convinced I must not be blessed. You see what I'm saying, folks? The Apostle Paul understood what blessing really was. In Acts chapter 18, verse 1, after this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. There he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently come from Italy with his wife Priscilla because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. Paul went to see them, and because he was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. 
Now, Corinth was a difficult city. In fact, one historian said none but the tough could survive. It was sort of the Las Vegas or the L.A. of its day or the New York City. And so Paul is there in this big metropolitan city, and apparently he's there all by himself. Well, now, if, if Paul was alive today, he would be like a celebrity pastor. Everyone would want to know, you know, his autograph, sign a book and all that. But the Apostle Paul had no idea then he was the Apostle Paul. He's alone. You ever felt that way? I mean, like, nobody knows who you are. You, I remember going into a church after I'd gone through a separation and I lost my step down for my ministry. And so I went to this black church in Washington, D.C., all black church on Easter morning to blend in. And so no one would know me. You don't blend in when you're the only white guy in an all black church. And I remember being so incredibly alone. Lady sitting next to me, the pastor asked, are you ready for change? And the lady sitting next to me says, are you ready for a change? I said, I mean, I can't lie. Yes. You need to go up and let the pastor pray with you. Come on. She's trying to take me by the hand. I said, no, no, no. I am a pastor. I didn't tell her that. But folks, I had to swallow my pride. So the Apostle Paul is there alone in a city, a tough city, where, a, a city where only tough survive. He's working two jobs, and he only had two friends. At least that's what the text seems to imply. I remember being out of ministry. I worked as a used car salesman for a while. That was fascinating. Then I took a job as a substitute teacher. Uh, that was tough kindergarten kids. At the end of that, I was laying on a mat sucking my thumb. And then <laughs> I worked as a hospice chapel. None of those were easy jobs, but life isn't easy. And so here's the Apostle Paul. Every, every Sabbath, he's reasoning. Then Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia. Make a note of that, okay? Make a note of Macedonia. Go back to that in a little bit. Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive. I want to focus on that a minute. Because sometimes people oppose us. Sometimes there is abuse. And through all of that, God is working to bless us. It can be a spouse, it can be a boss, it can be an ex, it can be a kid, it can be a church member. But Paul constantly, his apostleship was being questioned, his credibility was being questioned by Christians, by Jews, by non-Christians, by Gentiles. Paul was constantly under attack. In fact, his resume is quite unimpressive if you define being blessed as your life going well. He says he'd been in prison more often, flogged more frequently, exposed to death again and again, three times beaten with rods, once pelted with stones, three times shipwrecked. This is 2 Corinthians 11. In danger from bandits, fellow Jews, Gentiles, false believers, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, gone without sleep, hungry, thirsty, cold, and naked. I'm blessed. You see, Paul understood that when we're weak, God is strong. 
I understand my resume would read something like this. I have a master's degree in messing up, a PhD in pain. I've been falsely accused, publicly berated. I've had my family scrutinized. I raised two teens, and that was hell at times. I've been fired. I've had cancer. I've gone through depression. I've been through a church split recently. I've never lived in such a small community where so many people avoided me, but I do now. And I've got on top of it all, I've got a giant red scarlet D on my forehead. At least that's how it feels. Divorced. I hate that. But it's something God has worked through and it's something that I've learned an important truth. And it's not in the Bible, but it's all through the Bible. It's okay not to be okay. I mean, look at the great men and women of the scriptures. There were times they were completely flat on their face. Say that with me. It's okay not to be okay. I mean, sometimes we put on this facade at church, and I think there are more liars in church than there are in fishing boats and bars and golf courses combined because we come in here and we say, how are you doing? And we say, I'm fine. We're not fine oftentimes. How are you? Well, I'm fine too. And so we play this little game. We hide behind the fig leaves. We pretend we're okay. And God sees through it. And other people do as well. I mean, let's be real and let's be honest with each other. Folks, I'm, when it comes to life, when it comes to being a husband, when it comes to being a father, when it comes to being a pastor or a grandfather, I'm clueless. I stood in a pulpit of a large church in Washington, D.C. one time, and I said, I have no idea what I'm doing. The executive pastor pulled me aside later and said, some board members have expressed some concern that people will lose their confidence in you when you say things like that. And I said, they shouldn't have any confidence in me. I'm an idiot. <laughs> he, didn't, uh, he didn't disagree with me. <laughs> but you have to come to a point sometimes in life where you say, I do not have all the answers. In fact, I got no answers at all. Paul was completely broken. He did at one time have impressive credentials according to the world, and he said, all of that has just become like garbage to me. You think I got any confidence in this? His health is broken. His life is in shambles. There's a possibility, I don't know, there's a possibility that Paul was divorced. He had to be married to be a part of the Sanhedrin. What happened to her, we don't know. All I know is there's this little bent-over man who shuffled along, who wrote this, who never imagined we would be sitting here right now talking about him. Who found out it's actually okay not to be okay. I am not only incompetent, folks, I'm a loser. You say, well, we don't know you that well, but you kind of seem like it. I got a great big, you know. <laughs> what do I mean by that? Paul says, for, for Christ, I've lost all things. I mean, there've, there's been a time in my life, I had like $100 in my checking account. I was completely flat broke living with my parents. And on top of that, I'm, pro, well, I won't even say pro, I am the biggest sinner in this room right now. I said, wow, I never thought a pastor would admit that. I am the worst sinner. I told our people recently, I said, the biggest compliment you can pay to me is to say our pastor is the biggest sinner I know. You know why people don't go to church? 
It's not because they're afraid to come because they have sins they don't want you to know about. It's because they see that you don't think you have any. Because you're not real. And oh, by the way, lest you judge me, it was Paul who said, who is the chief sinner? Me, the apostle Paul, the worst of all sinners. It's okay not to be okay. In fact, the healthiest people are those who know they're not. It's the ones who live in denial of that that really have the issues. When we get to heaven, I don't think God will look us over for medals or degrees or diplomas. He's going to look us over for scars. Do you have any scars? It's okay not to be okay, but let me add, it's not okay to stay that way. I had a counselor, um, not ashamed to admit that, I had a counselor that um, told me one day, uh, I, she said, you're wanting to fast forward through the painful part of your life. I said, you're right. You know, we, we have this thing, this thing that we're going through, and, and, and I don't know about women, but I know as guys, it's like, I just want to get past that. You know, I just want to get through that. I don't want to have to feel the pain. And she said to me, you have to feel the pain because the biggest lessons that God wants to teach you are going to be in the middle of that. When you're flat on your face and you're soaking your, the carpet with your tears, when you're completely broken, that's when God is going to teach you the richest lessons. And I knew this lady knew what she was talking about because she became a widow when she was 45 years old. And she kept saying to me, baby steps, just take baby steps. And I listened to this woman, and she was right, and it hurt, and I hurt really cra like crazy, but I let myself feel it so I could grow through that. And what she said made so much sense and was such an encouragement, I asked her to marry me, and she did. Well, she wasn't a professional counselor. She just was a great friend, my wife, who's walked through so many dark times taught me it's okay not to be okay, but it's not okay to get stuck. You have to keep working through things. You've got to keep talking through it. And eventually, as Paul did, look what happens in Acts chapter 18, verse 6. He did not stay stuck. He shook out his clothes in protest to them. Those that opposed him, those that abused him, he didn't stay stuck to them. See, some of you have an ex or you have a boss or you have somebody and you are a victim to them. You continue to be because you won't just say, okay, I'm done with that. That's what Paul did. Your blood be on your own heads. I'm innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Now, let me tell you a beautiful thing God did through all this pain and all these problems. Do you remember when Paul was converted? you remember when Ananias went to him? Do you know the message Ananias took to him? Hey, Paul, guess what? By the way, you think that the gospel is always just for the Jews? The good news is now for the Gentiles. God wants to open the door to the Gentiles. Do you know how long it took Paul to get it? From the time Ananias told him to what we read right here in Acts chapter 18 was 19 years I mean, you think Paul immediately jumped up after he regained his sight and said, let's go win the Gentiles. No, it took him a long time to finally get it because, folks, he had to be broken and he had to be rejected by his people so God would open a whole new door for the Gentile world. It took me about 40 years to get it. 
God, you are not impressed by me. And you're not impressed by how many people are sitting and listening to me every week. And when I met my counselor, wife, and told her, I used to be somebody. You know what she said? Mm, God is humbling you. I said, baby, my humility is something I've always been proud of. She still reminds me sometimes, God is humbling you. And his permanent address is the end of ourselves. I think most of us are far too confident in the flesh. We grow self-sufficient. I got this, God. And he said, no, you don't. I remember walking around a lake in Florida and crying out. God, I can't do this anymore. I can't. I was so angry and so upset and so broken. And he whispered through the night. It was 2 o'clock in the morning. I'm glad no one was around because I'm crying out to God. And God said, you never could. And neither can you. You don't have what it takes. And someday you'll realize that. God's permanent address is the end of ourselves. Paul talks about his thorn in the flesh that kept him dependent on God, kept him humble. His power, Paul said, is made perfect in my weakness. Therefore, I will glory in my weaknesses. Acts 18, then Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justice, the worshiper of God, Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. Folks, at the end of the day, all that really matters is where we'll spend eternity. All the things we go through in this life don't really matter, do they? Last time I was with you, and I think it's just kind of the theme of my life because I've seen it again and again, that sovereign God is at work, that there is something bigger going on. Now, I asked you a while ago to remember Macedonia. How many of you from Sunday school, or maybe you covered it during this series, remember the Macedonian call? I never really understood that as a kid because the Bible says the apostle Paul and his followers, companions, we're going to go over here. I can't remember where, but they're going to go over here. And the Holy Spirit stopped them from going. Why? How many of you have uh, done your DNA testing on Ancestry.com? It's kind of interesting to find out your heritage. Uh, we've, we've all done it. My sister did it. And we found out we've got a cousin we didn't know we had. I mean, my uncle had a fling while he was in the Air Force, I guess, and that's his sin to confess. But anyway, he's got this, da- had this daughter. And so we, I met this cousin at a family reunion for the first time uh, just a few months ago. I was really disappointed. I was hoping she would be really stinking filthy rich so we could all benefit from it. But anyway, I met my cousin I'd never met before. And she was so fascinated to find out a little bit more about her heritage. Let me ask you this. What do you know about your spiritual heritage? I'm going to tell you something that you may not know about your spiritual heritage. 
If you could trace your spiritual heritage, your family tree back, the person who led you to the Lord and led them to the Lord and led them to the Lord, wouldn't that be cool to see? Like, who do I go back to? Which one of the disciples do I go back to? Who was it that, I mean, I can trace my spiritual family tree. I can tell you right now exactly where you can trace it back to. It's something that makes no sense in the Bible. When God says, don't go over here, I want you to give you a vision of a man from Macedonia you go, where is that? It's Greece. It's known as the gateway to Europe. If you're of European ancestry today, that means that whoever shared the gospel with you or your family, most likely you could trace your spiritual lineage back to something that made absolutely no sense at the time. The Macedonian call. And you see through it, can you imagine if the Apostle Paul were preaching here today? He'd go, I had no idea what God would do through you. God is continuing to work, and you have an opportunity to pass that heritage on. He stayed in Corinth, verse, chapter 18, verse 9. One night the Lord spoke to Paul, in a vision, do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you. Wouldn't you love to have that reassurance? No one is going to attack or harm you because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. Wouldn't you love to have that assurance? You do. Surely I will be with you to the end of the age. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Jesus promised he would be with us, and he is. You study the life of the Apostle Paul. I understand what the Archbishop of Canterbury meant when he said everywhere Paul went, there was a riot or a revival. Everywhere I go, they serve tea. It's kind of the American way of looking at things that we want it easy, folks. We want to get our lives so organized. We want it so figured out. We want to make sure we don't feel any pain. We don't experience any problems. We go to great lengths to do that. And Jesus says, that's never what I had in store. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. But be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. It was Apostle Paul who said, you've got to go through many trials to enter the kingdom of heaven. Would you mind holding this for me, sir? I want this to represent something that maybe you need to be reminded of. Thank you, Jeff. Uh, you need to be reminded of today. Is there somebody on this side who would mind holding this other end? Um, anybody? Sir, would you mind? Just thank you. It's, it's a simple job, I promise. Just You can handle it. You got it. He's got this under control. Just take that. I'll Sorry about that. Thank you. Let's pull that. Uh, what this represents right here, this line represents eternity, okay? Now, we could, I could send these guys on a mission, and they'd probably do it. You know, like go as far uh, west as you can go. I mean, you know, go clear to California. Go as far east as you can go. If we had enough of this, and you still wouldn't begin to grasp eternity. So this is just a little, little tiny picture of what eternity might look like, Okay. This is what we call the line. This is what we call the dot. My question for you today as we close is, are you living for the dot 
or are you living for the line? Now, let's say this nice big dot represents you lived a good 80 years. You lived 80 years. You retired well. You invested well. Someday you're going to move to Florida. You're going to start a movie called Men in Black Socks. You have it all figured out. You got this whole thing, right? But sometimes unexpected things happen, and we don't get a full 80 years. Let's just say your dot's a whole lot smaller. Maybe you don't live that long. The dot represents life on this earth, this horizontal plane that all of us are living. You guys okay? All right. The dot. I went to Dillard's yesterday with my wife. I don't know why. There was a crowd. I can't hardly handle that. But I was there because I love her. And she pointed to something that we had talked about recently. It's a purse, a brand of purse. I won't mention it because if you have one, I'm not trying to shame you. But that particular brand of purse made the guy that uh, created those the second richest man in the world. I know now why, because I said, my goodness, how much are the, what's it, like a $200 purse? And she went higher. I said, how much? She took me over and showed me. The purse sitting in Dillard's right here was $2,000. I picked it up to see if there was a gold brick in it or something. It had a $2,000 price tag on it right there at Dillard's. Now, folks, that's living for the dot. I'm sorry, everything in that store in Dillard's someday will wind up in a garage sale and ultimately is going to wind up in the garbage heap. Things we get so excited about, I think, and men agree with me on this, that spending $2,000 on a purse is absolutely ridiculous. And women are agreeing too. Now, if it, I mean, it's a $20,000 bass boat that's completely... Completely different. That's a different thing. I mean, because that bass boat, you catch bass that you can live off of and eat and survive. And the guy told me, he goes, 20000 is a little low. You need to raise. I know bass boats are expensive. But I, listen, it's still living for the dot, right? That $20,000 boat or that $2,000 purse, when we get really fixated on things of this earth, folks, it always disappoints us. Here's the question. It's an important, the probably most important question. Are you living for the dot or are you living for the line? I know people who sit in church every week and, and they do love Jesus, but their focus has become right here. And let me tell you why it's important. Because the line's coming. You can let this down. Thank you, guys. You know how Paul's life ended You think, man, I bet there were a lot of people there supporting him, loving him. Paul, the apostle, they took Paul by himself, according to tradition, outside the city limits of Rome to an isolated spot to not draw attention to what was happening. They knelt him down in the dirt and they cut his head off. No one there to say, Paul, I'm with you. I support you. Jesus was. The next words that the Apostle Paul heard were, well done, good and faithful servant. I was talking to a friend recently who started coming to our church, and I said, Doug, tell me your story. I shared a little bit about mine, and he said, well, my daughter's struggling with alcohol addiction. She lost her driver's license, so I have to take her back and forth to work. It's not, thankfully, I'm retired, so I can do that, but He said, I worry about her. It's oftentimes two steps forward and three steps back. I said, understand. I understand. He said, "Uh, well, I think the reason she struggles with alcohol is because my son hung himself 
in her front yard not long ago. I said, excuse me? Yeah. That's the rest of the story. Doug maintains his faith. He's one of the most positive people I know, but he told me, he said, there were times I was not okay. I was a wreck. This morning at 12.45, my phone is lighting up. It woke my wife and I up. It was my youth minister on the other end. I knew it was something serious. We have a family that moved from Illinois to our church, and they sit right here, and big smiles. They love Jesus. Have come to know the Lord later in life. The father, husband, mother, and the kids, and the kids are in their 40s, and then they've got grandkids that fill almost a whole row. Jim has struggled off and on, the father, with heart issues. He's probably in his 70s and recently was put on hospice and went back to Illinois to tell everybody goodbye. And we said, we'll never see Jim again. He's going to go be with Jesus. We told him goodbye. But I talked to Jim and Sue this morning because last night in, in Springfield, Missouri, there was a car chase. And his son and daughter-in-law and grandson were hit and killed in this car chase. Folks, I'm, I'm still in shock. I can't, he was, the, he ran our sound for us. Jim and Sue, our family, and I'm still processing. Jamin, Kim, their son, are gone. Left three teenage kids in the home. That's where our youth minister was last night. Our church is reeling right now. And if you ask everybody today, how you doing? They would probably tell you, we're not okay. Jim said to me this morning, he and Sue called on their way back from Chicago. And he said, Ken, it's okay. I know where my kids are going to be. And I know I'm going to see them again soon. Reminds me of what the final chapter of the Bible says. I love it. Let's look at it together from Revelation. Then one of the elders asked me, these in white robes, who are they? Where did they come from? I answered, sir, you know. He said, these are they who have come out of the great tribulation. They've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And I love this. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they may have the right to the tree of life and may go through the gates into the city. Blessed. Father God, we thank you today for the trials, the tribulations, the heartache, those things that drive us deeper into your arms. Those are true blessings. We're blessed when we mourn. We're blessed when we weep. We are blessed when our hearts are broken. We can't see it all now, Lord. But if we could, we would know that you are always working all things for our good and for your kingdom's glory and yours.
be present in this place right now. May your Holy Spirit speak deeply to us, calling us back to be real, to be raw, to be authentic, to truly walk out our faith. In Jesus' name.